look, we've, um, it's been great to, be, to have this time to be able to go through the book of Hosea. We haven't gone through every chapter, as you know, but we've taken out some of the highlights from the book of Hosea, and we've got right to the very end. And we're going to look now at the last chapter, chapter 14. Uh, there's a guy called A.N. Wilson, uh, who was an English writer and a newspaper columnist. Uh, he was once very widely known, look at him, <laughs> He was once very widely known as for, for his anti-Christian views. He, he particularly wrote lots of books that were hostile to Christianity. Uh, God and Religion, for example, or The Funeral of God, uh, Church in Crisis. Uh, he was a friend of people like uh, uh, Dawkins, Richard Dawkins and uh, Christopher Hitchens. At least he was. But in 2009, God brought him back. He called himself uh, uh, a born-again atheist. He was brought up in the Church of England, and uh, he had a, a kind of Damascus Road conversion to atheism, he says, uh, about more than 25 years ago. But in 2009, uh, he writes in the, new statement, in the New Statesman about his return to the Lord. That's what he called it, his return to the Lord. And this is what he says. He says, my, my departure from the faith was like a conversion on the road to Damascus. My return was slow, hesitant, doubting. But I know, he says, I shall never make the same mistake again. Never again. Now that's what God, that's what Israel promises God here in this last chapter, in Hosea chapter 14. If you look at verse 3, look what it says there. We will never again say, our gods to what our hands have made. Never again. Uh, so this last chapter really is, it's for people who uh, perhaps wandered away from God. People who maybe um, grew up in the church, you were a church kid perhaps, uh, but you secretly even perhaps backslidden, you're not where you used to be. Or, or maybe you've never really known God. You've been around and you've been in church and you've heard God's word preached and so on, you know a little bit about him but you, you've never really come to him. Or, or maybe you've, you've, like the prodigal son, you've been in the far country and you've, you've lived as though God were dead. Not as if he didn't exist, but as if he, you wished him dead. Maybe that's, that's where you're coming from. Whoever you are, wherever you're coming from tonight, this, this chapter is for you. And, and it's, it shows you the way back to God. If God is distant and if you've put a distance between yourself and God, what, what surely, if anything, that we've learned from the book of Hosea is this, that, that, that God's not against us. He won't give in to us because he is the Holy One amongst us. That's how the, Hosea describes him. So he's never going to give in to us with our sin and rebellion. He's not going to let us get away with it. But then, you know, he's not going to give up on us either. How can I give you up, O Ephraim, he says. And, and, and so, if, if, if we've not learned anything else, we should know that this great God of the Bible is, is a loving God, a passionately loving God, who is jealous for his people, and he wants us back. And he calls us back to himself. The whole book is about that, isn't it? And this la last chapter shows us the way back. And there are four things that we see in this, this last chapter. Uh, there's a, a plea from God, from the heart of God to us. There's a prayer which God gives us that we can use to return to him. There's a promise which uh, gives us every incentive for 
for going down that path and, and returning to the Lord. It's a double promise. And then there's also a pathway for us to follow. So those are the four things, a plea, a prayer, a promise, and a pathway. First of all, let's look at the plea. See how the chapter opens there in verse 1? Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. That's a, that's a plea from God, from the heart of God, for repentance, for, for turning round. Um, you know, I'm getting I'm, I'm my, my AstraZeneca injection tomorrow. I'm in that cohort. I'm in my 70s. And, you know, sometimes you see, don't you, on, on, the, um, on Facebook or even on the telly, sometimes you see this, this sort of situation where you get an old codger like myself, okay? I'm thinking of buying a Volvo and a cap. And, and sometimes you see, you see someone, you know, going down the slip road onto a motorway in the wrong direction. <laughs> and you, you're thinking, I hope that never happens to me. I, I'd probably die of embarrassment rather than of anything else, but... It's a, it's a scary moment. Can you imagine you know, doing that? Driving down the slipway onto a, onto a busy motorway and then suddenly becoming aware of the fact. I'm, and then there's a big sign there. You know, go back. You're going in the wrong direction. It's a very scary moment, isn't it? And it's a very scary moment, you know, when you sort of wake up to the fact, wake up to yourself and you realize that your life has been going in the wrong direction. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. And somehow or other, you've got into the wrong crowd, perhaps, and you, you know, the traffic is, pu is pushing in, in, in that direction, but it's the wrong direction. And, and, and God is saying to you, go back, you're, you're going in the wrong di direction. See, if you ignore that sign, then, then before you know it, you, you enter into the flow of the, the traffic, and, and I don't know how you're going to turn around. It's impossible to turn around in that situation, isn't it? Sooner or later, if you ignore that sign... And that's the danger because, you know, the book of Proverbs tells us that there is a way that seems right to us, but it leads to destruction. And sometimes we think in our life that we're going in the right direction, we're doing the right things, but it's leading, it's leading to death, it's leading to destruction. And once you get onto that road, which Jesus describes it as the broad road that leads, there's a lot of traffic on that road, he describes it as the broad road that leads to destruction. Well... Once you get onto that road, there may well come a time when you're not able to turn around. You're not, not able to come back. And that's the danger. And so God pleads with us tonight. Return, return Israel to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips, it says in the NIV. In the ESV, it says... More literally, the translation is, bulls our lips. Now, what on earth does that mean? It doesn't make any sense at all, does it? Not to us, but it would make sense to an Israelite. See, if you were that guy who was going onto the motorway in the wrong direction, and you suddenly wake up to yourself and you realize, my life is going in the wrong direction, and you, you come under conviction of sin and you realize that your sin is the problem. <laughs> it's not your circumstances. It's not your upbringing. It's not other people. But it's your sin, your, what is sin? It's living autonomously, as if God didn't exist, as if God were dead. If, if you've been convicted of that, and if you're an Israelite and, and you're con under conviction of sin, you would naturally think, okay, I've got to sort myself out with God. What sacrifice shall I bring? <laughs> There's a bull in the paddock, I'll go and get a bull and sacrifice it. Because that's the sort of things they did in the Old Testament, didn't they? And then God will be pleased with me. But, but see, pardon the expression, but uh, 
Hosea is really saying to us here, that's a load of bull. Pardon, sorry, not only for the expression, but for the dad joke. <laughs> but that's really what he's saying, you know. Uh, you don't need to do that. The, the sacrifice that God is looking for is not an animal sacrifice. The, the sacrifice that God is looking for is a broken and a contrite heart. Bring that to him. I, express it in prayer. Paul was telling us that that's what we do when we, in public worship. We, we, we don't come to re, so much to receive as to give. Bring that to him. Bring words. Offer the fruit of your lips. Turn to God and, and talk to God. That's what prayer is. It's just, that's all it is. It's talking to God. But make sure when you talk to God that you really mean what you say. That's so important, isn't it? Someone's actually written a book for politicians and sporting personalities, How to Apologize and Admit Nothing. <laughs> it's a bestseller in Canberra, so I'm told. <laughs> you know the sort of thing? It, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if my remarks have offended you. What sort of an apology is that? I'm not sorry for making those remarks. I'm just sorry that you're offended by them. <laughs> so it's your fault, not mine. Have you noticed how often the word sorry in our vocabulary is accompanied by another little word? But. <laughs> you notice that? I'm sorry, but I was tired. I'm sorry, but I was busy. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you haven't had to hang out with those kids all day. <laughs> See, what you're really saying there is, I'm sorry that you are unreasonably upset, but it's absolutely nothing to do with me. You can't, you can't do that with God. You've got to mean what you say when you talk to God. Because God can see right through your words into your heart. Israel learned that lesson. We, we skipped over a chapter that I think I would have liked to have preached on, chapter 6. And you can check it out later if you want to. But Israel learned that lesson back in chapter 6. They learned that saying sorry is not enough. They said sorry. But they didn't really mean it. They, they, they prayed the prayer. They said the right words. Lovely words. Beautiful words. They, they could almost have come out of the Book of Common Prayer. Such beautiful words. In fact, they probably got into the Book of Common Prayer. They certainly got into our old Presbyterian hymn book. It was a paraphrase at the, at the back of our hymn book. And you may even have sung these words. Come, let us to the Lord our God with contrite hearts return. Our God is gracious, nor will leave the desolate to mourn. What beautiful words. Nothing wrong with those words whatsoever. Those words come from Hosea chapter 6. They're taken out of the mouths of the Israelites. But the shocking thing is this, you see, God says to them in the very next verse, he says, your love is like the morning mist. It's like the early dew that disappears. God sees right through their words into their hearts, you see. They, they were sorry. They were sorry. Sorry for themselves more than anything else, but they were sorry. But it was superficial. And it was short-lived. Now, the point is this. Repentance is more than saying sorry. It's more than being sorry. As someone has said, repentance is, is not a heart breaking because of sin. It's a heart breaking away from sin. And that's not something in a moment, in a meeting. It's our whole life to do here in this chapter. Return, O Israel. Your sins have been your downfall.
But how do we do that then? How do we return? Notice secondly, uh, in, in response to this plea from the heart of God, there's a prayer. You might even call it the sinner's prayer. Remember you know, when Billy Graham was around and he used to call people down the front and they, they'd have the counselors lined up and then, uh, then they would be given the words to pray. Not sure how helpful that always is. Sometimes that can be unhelpful, I think. Uh, but they, 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 they just call it the sinner's prayer. And, and this is kind of like that here, isn't it? Look, look at verse 2. Take words with you and return to the... How do I return to the Lord? Well, take words with you, God says, and return. You see, unlike the gods that our hands have made, who are deaf and dumb and lifeless, you've got a God that you can talk to. You know, how, how much we undervalue the privilege of prayer, don't we? It's open door there. Do you know what it costs God for you to have just a word of prayer? It costs the blood of Jesus. It's through the blood of Jesus that we enter into the, the heavenly place in prayer. We, we just don't value the privilege that we've got of, of, of coming to the Lord and talking to him, being able to talk to him. But look what it says there in verse 3. Unlike the gods of our hands, the hands that our hands have made, who are deaf and dumb and lifeless, he is a father to the fatherless. Do you see that there in verse 3? We saw that last week in chapter 11, didn't we? He is the one in whom the fatherless find compassion. Maybe you've never had a father figure in your life. Or perhaps you grew up with a distant dad who was preoccupied with work, with no time for his family. That's the kind of home that, that I grew up in. Perhaps you've never known the love of an earthly father. But you can. Through Jesus, you can come to know God, the great God of the universe, as your father. Your dad, Abba. So turn to him. Talk to him. Abba, you say, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I'd be tongue-tied. I, I wouldn't have a clue what to say. Well, he'll give you the words, won't he? Look at the, he, He'll write the script for you. Look at it there. It's there in verse 2. Say to him, forgive all our sins. Receive us graciously. That's, that's our only plea. That is the only basis on which we can return to the Lord, isn't it? Grace. No good striking a bargain with him. That's what we do. No, no good sort of doing deals and... And making promises that we're never going to keep, necessarily. You know, like, well, I'll pray a bit more. I've been a bit slack in my Bible reading recently. And God, look, I, I'm sorry about that. I'm coming back. And I promise I, I won't be, I'll, I'll read more of my Bible. I'll be more bold in my witness. No good doing that. That's not the way back to God. Saying things that you don't really mean and making promises that you're not going to be able to, be, to, be able to keep. That's, no, the only basis on which we can return to the Lord is grace, isn't it? Grace. What is grace? Grace is God dealing with us, not as we deserve. It is God's generosity to those who, who deserve nothing but his angry punishment. Think of the, the, the great parable that Jesus told, the parable of the prodigal son. It's not the parable of the prodigal son, is it? It's the parable, it's the parable of two sons. And the father heart of God towards those sons of his. And, and perhaps like the prodigal son, you've been in a far country and you've been living as though God were dead. That may be true. That may be your background. That's maybe where you're coming from. Or perhaps, more likely perhaps, you're more like his stay-at-home older brother. And your heart is cold and formal and a long way from where it should be. 
See, see, in, in, that, in that famous parable, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's about the father heart of God for his runaway sons. And there are two sons, and they're both lost. And they don't realize it. They both need saving. The street kid and the church kid, they both need saving, don't they? And the father pleads with them both in that parable. Uh, one goes off and, and, and kicks over the traces and disgraces his father and lives as though his father was dead. And the other one stays at home and goes to church and does his duty. Two sons. One says to his father, you know, he's, he's brought to his senses there in the pigsty in the far country. And when he comes to his senses, he, says, I, he, he comes back and he says to his father, I owe you. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me make it up to you. Let me, let me pay you back. I, I don't deserve it to be called your son. Just uh, let, me, let, me, let me work as one of your hired servants. Let me sleep in the barn. Treat me as one of your slaves. I owe you. Is that the way back? The other says, what does the other one say? <laughs> you owe me, big time. <laughs> I've stayed at home. I've been a good boy. <laughs> I've always done my best. I've always done my duty for you, not like this feral brother of mine. See, there were two, two brothers. There were two sons. And neither of them understood the grace of God, did they? And the father pleads with them both. His heart grows, goes out to them both. You get that fantastic picture, of, of, which you would never see in, 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 the, in that culture, of a father running down the road to, to, to embrace his prodigal son. And his, the father's heart goes out to both his sons. And, and that's what's happening here in Hosea. Come back to me, God is saying. Return. Return, O Israel. Take words with you and return to me. And if you can't find the words, well, I'll tell you what to say. Look at verse 3. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. That's, 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 that's something that you could say, isn't it? In coming back to God. Martin Luther um, reminds us that that really is the heart of the issue. That's, you know, our sin. Well, Martin Luther says behind every sin, there is an idol. Why do people lie? Because they care more about what other people think of them than what God thinks of them. And what's that? That's idolatry, isn't it? That's idolatry. Looking for acceptance everywhere else except from God. Who cares what other people think of you if you know that you're right with God? Who cares about your public image if, 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 if God has forgiven you and you're in his family? But you see, we're always we're so sensitive, aren't we, to what other people think? And that's idolatry. And so we we manipulate the truth about ourselves. You know, we we um, we only put the best things about ourselves up on Facebook, don't we? Because we we care about what people think. That's idolatry. Why why do people steal? Because they're they're looking for security in things, things that our hands have made. Things made in China by robots. Sorry for anybody who's come from China. <laughs> but we do, don't we? We, we? we look for our sense of security in, in, in our possessions. 
And we've got to get the, the latest uh, version of that, uh, whatever it is, an, an Apple Watch or a, <laughs> the latest model car. And, and we, we find our, our security in things that our hands have made. That's what these Israelites were doing. And, and, and now they're saying, never again. We're not going to make that mistake ever again. We will never again say our gods <laughs> to what our hands have made. And, and so, you see, if you and I are going to really, really come back to God and really mean it and come back to God in a very real way, then we're going to have to dig deep and we're going to have to not just look at the sins in our lives because they're just the symptoms. <laughs> we have to look behind the sins to the idols that are controlling us. We have to... John Calvin said that the human heart is a factory of idols. There are many idols that we worship. We don't even realize it. And to really repent and return to God means that we've got to identify what those idols are. And we've got to smash those idols, haven't we? See what it says there in verse 3? See what, what Israel was doing. They were looking to the, the local superpower, Assyria, to save them. See, in verse 3, God says there in verse 3, Assyria won't save us. Horses won't get us where we want to go. Fancy that. They're putting their trust in horses. I don't suppose we're many, many of us are tempted to do that unless you're into putting a bet on the, uh, the GGs. Um, but uh, in our own way, we do the same, don't we? Every day, you know, when we wake up in the morning, we saddle up our idols, expecting them to carry us through the day. We put our trust in things that our hands have made and expect them to carry us to where we want to go in life. If only, you know, if only, if only I had enough money, then I could pay off my mortgage and my future would be secure. If, if, if only I could find a partner, a, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. If I got that job, if I get that promotion, if I pass those exams, if only I can save enough super to retire comfortably, if only, if only, if only, if only, if only, if only what? If only what? Because there's your idol. That's how you identify it. Can't imagine what life would be like if I didn't have that. Do you see? That's the problem. The irony thing, the irony is that, you see, Israel thought that Assyria would save them. <laughs> and so they put their trust in Assyria, the local superpower, to save them. But in the, in the end, the very thing that they trusted in to save them was what God actually used to destroy them. Because the Assyrians came and wiped them out. And the ten tribes went into oblivion. And that's always what happens. The problem is with anything, even if it's a good thing, the problem is that with anything that takes the place of God in our lives, whether it's your marriage or your ministry, your family or your grandkids, whatever it is, it may not be a bad thing. Maybe a very good thing, but if it takes the place of God, then in the end it's going to destroy us. The dearest idol I have known, the hymn writer says, whatever that idol be, 
Help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. What is it? What, what is that idol in your life? I've seen families destroyed, you know, because they put their kids first. Who wouldn't want to put their kids first? But I, I've seen whole families that have wandered away from the Lord because, well, their kids have to play sport on a Sunday morning. And, and you know, we've got to look out for the kids because, you know, and so every now and again, it's sports day on Sunday morning. And so the family isn't there in church anymore. And then that becomes a habit. And before you know it, those kids have grown up and they haven't grown up under the sound of the gospel. That idol has actually, for all right reasons, they've sort of thought, well, this is the best thing for my children. And they put their trust in that idol. And they've, 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 they've revolved their lives around their kids and put them center place where they should have put God first. Do you see? And when we do that, that, that's the subtle thing is, the things we put our trust in are the very things that will actually destroy us. So how do we do, how, how, can I, how can I abandon my idols? I need to identify them, I need to know what they are, but how can I tear those idols from the throne of God and, and worship only God? Because if I abandon my idols, how can I be sure that God's going to pick me up? Well, this is the third thing. He promises to do so. Just look at uh, uh, these verses. There are two great promises here in these verses. Look at verse 4, first of all. What does God promise to do? He promises to, in verse 4, to turn away his wrath. See, We've seen in Hosea, haven't we, that uh, he is the Holy One. And, and he, he will not give in to us. But at the same time, he cannot give up on us either. And, and he says here in verse 4, he says, Return to me, return to me. I will heal your waywardness and love you freely. For my anger has turned away from you. Do you hear that? My anger has turned away from them. See, this is where, where Jesus comes in, isn't it? John tells us in the New Testament that, that, that he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He is the propitiation. He is the one who turns aside the anger of God. That's what the word propitiation means. Some words are important for us to understand. There are words in the Bible that, that we need to educate ourselves up to understand. They're too important for us to just try and retranslate into some common parlance. And this is one of them. He is the propitiation for our sins. He is the one who turns aside the anger of God. That's what it means. On him, almighty vengeance fell that must have sunk a world to hell. He bore it for his chosen race and thus became their hiding place. Thank God for Jesus. He exhausted the wrath of God. That, that's what was happening in the garden. He, he was, his hour had now come. And he was preparing himself to, 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 to go to the cross. He, he was staring into the, that cup that was filled to, to the brim and overflowing with the anger of God against sin. And he, he, he was saying, if it's possible, let there be some other way. Everything in him shrank from having to go there, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there, 
on the cross, naked, alone, suspended between heaven and earth, he bore the full, unmitigated wrath of God against the sin of the world. And we sing about it, don't we? And on that cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. That's what those final words of his mean. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's not a cry of despair. That's not a cry of doubt. It's the cry of dereliction. Jesus didn't just feel forsaken, he was forsaken. He was forsaken for us so that we might never be forsaken. God turned his face away from Jesus on the cross. And as the darkness enveloped him, Jesus descended into hell. The hell that our sin deserves. Do you see what God promises to do for us? Why wouldn't you return to a God who hasn't spared his own son but given him up for us all? He promises to turn away his wrath. But what else does he promise to do? Well, look at verse 5. <laughs> and maybe we don't appreciate this, perhaps, because of where we live, but he says, I will be like the dew to Israel. Well, we get a lot of moisture here in, in, in Tasmania, don't we? It's, we're soaking, really, aren't we? Let's be honest. But if, if you were in the middle of Australia, in, 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 in one of those drought areas, or in, in, in Palestine, where, where there was nothing but dust and... Uh, uh, no rain at all. This is, a, this is a, such a, a wonderful promise. I, I will be like the dew to Israel. Oh, how Israel wanted the dew. How those farmers in, in drought areas of Australia long for, for dew on the ground. Refreshing, revigorating in a dry and dusty land where there's no rain. I'll be like the dew, softening the soil so that you can plant your crops. Allowing you to flourish and grow and be fruitful. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily, like a cedar of Lebanon. He will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. Do you see what it is? It's the promise of human flourishing. Instead of the covenant curses that you deserve, Israel, you're going to get the covenant blessings. But notice, not only will you be blessed you will be a blessing to others, just as God promised Abraham. Not only will you flourish if you come back to the Lord, not only will you flourish, you'll cause others to flourish too as a result. So look at verse 7, see what it says? People will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the, the vine. I want to share with you the testimony of a guy called Mez McConnell. Uh, Mez McConnell is, um, he's now a pastor. He was brought up in one of those, there he is. It's pretty rough diamond, isn't he? <laughs> um, he, he, he grew up in, um, uh, in one of those really, I think they call them schemes in, 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 in Glasgow, or in Scotland. They're, they're vast housing estates, drug-ridden, uh, uh, where... He, he was abused in, in every way possible, every way you can imagine, as a child, just as a young child. He grew up homeless, addicted. He's the senior pastor of Nidridi Community, despising, 
And now he's the senior pastor of Nidridi Community Church in Edinburgh, Scotland, on one of those big housing estates. And he's the founder of a ministry that's dedicated to building gospel, planting gospel-centered churches for Scotland's poorest communities. He's, he's kind of the, the visionary guy behind a movement called Church in Hard Places. Places like Bridgewater. Places where it's very hard to go with the gospel. He grew up, as I say, in the most horrendous circumstances, suffering every kind of abuse imaginable as a young child. And, but then the Lord saved him. The, Jesus came into his life. And this is his testimony. Let me, I've got some of it up on the screen, but I'll, I'll, let me give you his testimony here. This is what he says. Jesus Christ has not only freed me from my sin, he has not only reconciled me to God, but listen to this. He has changed my future and the future of my offspring for generations to come. That's what Jesus does. That's what the gospel does. He's broken the chains that bound me from birth. The cycle of pain and misery will stop with me. My children will never know what it is to be beaten at home. They'll never know what it is to be abused physically and mentally by those who are meant to care for them. God willing, they will never know what it's like to go hungry. They will never know all these things because of the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ in my life. Jesus has broken the cycle. I can't protect them from the world around them. I can't protect them from their own sinful inclinations. But I can offer them an environment in which the gospel is real and relevant in their lives. I can offer them hope, opportunities, and dreams. I can offer them things they could never have imagined if God had not reached down from heaven and given me life. That's what the gospel does. It's what God promises to do for us if we turn back to him. Return to me, he says, and not only will you be blessed, but you will be a blessing to others. You will be a blessing to generations not yet born. Think of the people who have perhaps been most influential in your life as, as a Christian. What a fragrant memory that can be, can't it? How fondly you remember some of those people, don't you? Well, don't you want to be one of them? In your own family? In your own workplace? In your own neighborhood? It's great that there's so many, what do we call them here, growth groups or gospel communities? I don't know what we call them, but I know you know what they are. <laughs> and there's a, there's a multitude of them spread around the city. For a small church, a lot of little small communities. Wouldn't it be wonderful if every one of those communities was like kind of an oasis in a dry and dusty land? Isn't that, isn't that an, wouldn't that be a great vision to have for us as a church? What if this church, if Soul Church, could be like that, an oasis in a dry and dusty land? Isn't that what we want for this city? Don't, don't we... We seek the peace of Jerusalem, don't we? we? We want to see Hobart flourish and the people of Hobart flourish. But, you know, human flourishing only happens when human beings return to God. Isn't that right? Human flourishing will only happen when human beings return to God. And that will only happen through the preaching of the gospel. And that's what these verses are telling us. Oh, Ephraim, verse 8. God says to them, what have I to do with idols? What have I to do with idols? 
Idols can't speak, they can't help, they're deaf and dumb. What have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. Don't you realize that? What are you doing chasing after idols? <laughs> things that your hands have made, putting your trust in these things. What have I got to do with all that? He says, no, it's I who answer and look after you. Don't you know that? I'm like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruitfulness. From me. Jesus said, I'm the vine. You're the branches. If, if you want to see gospel fruit, if you want to see your family flourish, if you want to see your neighborhood flourish and your city flourish, then you need to renounce your idols and return to me, the Lord says. Your fruitfulness comes from me. If you remain in me, Jesus says, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, <laughs> you can do nothing. So we've heard God's plea, and we've prayed the prayer, and we've embraced the promises. And now finally, there's a bit of a postscript here. God gives us a pathway to follow, doesn't he? In verse 9, at the very end of the chapter. Who is wise, he says. Let them realize these things. Wise up. <laughs> Who is discerning? Let them understand. See, what, what is wisdom? Surely wisdom is living in God's world according to God's word, isn't it? That's the pathway that God is calling us into when we return to him. He's not saying, come back to me and then you just go you know, do whatever you like. <laughs> just go back into your old life again and enjoy yourselves. He's not saying that, no. I want you to turn right round. I want you to come back to me in repentance. And I want you now uh, to choose the, the wise path, to, to live in my world according to my word. But is that how we live? Is that how we choose to live? Most of us are saddling up our idols before we get out of bed in the morning. That's not wise. Better to open your Bible first before you start saddling up your idols. Don't you think? That's the wise thing to do. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them. But the rebellious stumble in them. And they stumble because they refuse to accept that sin is their problem. God says, return to me. Take words with you. Return to the Lord. So let's do that now, shall we? Um, let, let's pray. And there'll be a prayer that will come up on the screen now. And I, I, let's stand. We don't do this normally. But let's all stand and let's say this prayer together. I'll lead you with it. But let's, if, if God has spoken to you today, tonight, this afternoon, you can make these words your words. Almighty God, our loving and compassionate Father, we return to you. Forgive us all our sins. Receive us graciously. Do not deal with us as our sins deserve. We come in genuine, heartfelt sorrow for all the ways we've rejected you and spurned your love. We admit that only you can save us, and we never want to worship anything or anyone else ever again. Thank you for your love freely given us in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who turned aside your anger from us and took it upon himself. Please help us to live daily, rejoicing in your love and blessing for the honor and praise of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.